Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to let you know, this episode is brought to you by Buckaroo Media, a digital marketing company that focuses on social media that cultivates relationships between brands and their customers. Buckaroo Media prides themselves on building genuine and authentic connections. Digital marketing doesn't have to be overwhelming or overly time-consuming. With Buckaroo Media on your team, you're free to focus on the areas of your business which you're most passionate about, and let Buckaroo Media handle the rest. Check them out on Instagram at buckaroo.media or Facebook at Buckaroo Media. For more information about Buckaroo Media and how they can grow your Western brand, visit buckaroomedia.com. B-U-C-K-A-R-O-O-M-E-D-I-A.com. Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to Episode 64 here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Our guest this week is experienced trick rider turned team roper Brandy Phillips. In this episode, we discuss a little bit about horsemanship as it relates to trick riding and Brandy's transition into team roping. Like many of our guests, the horse has played a huge role in Brandy's life through the various seasons she's experienced. Throughout this episode, we peel back the layers and it will not take long for you to understand how big Brandy's story really is. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Brandy Phillips. And I've kind of been doing more stuff by myself, which has been fun. So are you um, doing so a lot of clinic riding, stuff or are you just doing performances? How does that work? No, I've mostly just been doing performances and um, and Art of, the, Art of the Cowgirl is included in this category. I've actually been doing more demos. Oh, good. Um, kind of talking. I kind of base it around showing how trick riding, like how to start trick riding horses uh-huh. and what it takes, you know, from beginner to beginning to end and so I usually start with a green horse that I kind of have done some stuff on that I actually rope on and then I end with my good horse and then show off all the fast stunts how it's all done so so, I want to actually take a second and talk about this because Paige Calloway obviously recommended you as a guest and she has her involvement in trick riding and we we briefly covered in her show but her show is more focused on uh, the brand right page 1912 and all of her clothing but what goes in or how what is the process in starting a horse in the world of trick riding? Everyone is a little bit different. Um, my training comes from Riata Ranch, and we start on a lunge line okay. and kind of as a team start a horse. And basically on the lunge line, you have someone that can control the horse. And then you just get the horse used to like being in and out of their space and moving and obviously kicking your legs over and off. And then you start jumping on and off. And then you start from there then patterning them in the arena which sometimes that takes the longest um just getting them to run free but i always say run free but not running blind um because i think there's yeah i think there's a total difference between a horse that runs and you can hang off of it and a horse that's actually running with purpose and um so to me that process takes the longest because i think it's about two years before you really truly can trust a horse from top to bottom where experience is set in and then there's different two different sets of tricks there's strap tricks where you're hanging off and you're connected to the saddle somehow you know around your ankle or your feet are tied in and then there's your groundwork which is the vaults where you hit the ground land back in the saddle or backwards on the neck And so some horses like either or, some like all, or there's just some that some horses can that like more than others. So then you kind of find what fits each horse and what each rider. And then that kind of starts everything. It was impressive to watch. So the closest I've been to a performance was up at Heart of the Horse recently in Canada. And that that was the biggest thing that just blew my mind is that these horses, I mean, they're at a pretty close to a dead run, right? And they're not breaking gate and human beings feet are intermixing with horses feet and they're not coming off of their stride. They look to be in control. It's just absolutely fascinating how they can carry a gate round and around the arena and have a human being flopping all over them and, and never seem to lose that focus. It was quite impressive. 
Yeah, it's definitely, and and especially those girls you watched. I mean, there are a stellar group of trick riders going right now. So you're, we're getting to see some of the best, I really think, in our generation that are just really have got really good fast horses and the girls have really stepped up their tricks doing harder stuff and and it's, I think it's a great time right now to watch trick riding personally. Yeah, I was absolutely in awe of all the work that was being done. It was, it was just incredible. Yeah, yeah. So, it's so many people cool. spend a lifetime trying to stay in the saddle, and here these girls are <laughs> doing everything they can to not be in a saddle. Oh, yeah. My, um, the, where I live in Arizona is pretty much all team roper land, and there's mm-hmm. this, Older cowboy Bill Spratt lives up the street, and he calls me the upside down rider. So whenever <laughs> whenever people come over and he's, he tells them, "This is the upside down rider," she doesn't like to stay right side uh, up. <laughs> rather fitting, right? Rather fitting. I like yeah. it. I like it. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> Good stuff. So we're going to carry on conversation here in a little bit, and more talk more about horses and their influence in your life. But for the listener's sake, can we go into a little bit of your history? I know you were born and raised in California. You're now in Arizona, so. Let's just kind of start with your beginning in horses and and work through how it's become to to now spending the majority of your time in team roping. Well, I I actually didn't grow up um, around horses or raised on a ranch. Um, my grandmother Linda, who has been pretty much the rock in my life, she um, she had horses when I was younger. And she kind of started it. She said that she she had a ranch on the Kingsburg River, and she had a lot of thoroughbreds, Arabian show horses, and some quarter horses. And um, she said that she used to do chores, and she'd find me out in the middle of the pen with all these big horses. And she always says they it's like they thought you were a foal. They just never got near you know never hurt you. They always corralled you. And you know I don't really remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, then we moved to town because my grandpa was sick. So um, then her friend Connie Baker in Woodlake is who actually first taught me to ride. And I started in English and her and her granddaughter I used to go out there every couple weeks and ride out there. And then I just kind of got away from horses. You know, it just wasn't as easy to access them. Mm-hmm. And um, so I really, I mean, I really didn't grow up riding. Um, and I, when I was about 12, uh, is when I started at Riata Ranch and that was just kind of an accident. My mom was a trick rider at Riata when she was in high school and my little sister was taking riding lessons out there and my sister, my younger sister had to leave for the summer. So Jennifer, who runs Riata Ranch now, she came over and asked if I wanted to finish out her summer and I said, well, I you know, I've ridden before. I don't really want to ride with the little kids. And she's like, no, come out Tuesday and Thursday. And, you know, you can try the trick riding and, you know, and you can start getting back into riding. So I came out there on a Tuesday afternoon and they had a horse named Tomahawk on the lunge line. And Jennifer explained a vault to me and I ran up, vaulted on and boom, that was it. Game set match. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just literally my life, it was kind of horses, no horses, horses. And then it was all about, it's all about horses. <laughs> so that's the fascinating thing for me being a host, right? And getting to talk to all different people in the yeah. horse industry. So what for you, you know, we all kind of have that feeling, right? That, that just mm-hmm. horses create in us. But what specifically for you was that about, or excuse me, was it? in that vaulting experience, it just settled it for you that horses was going to be my thing. I really think it was my, my siblings were all athletes, um, volleyball, soccer, swimming. I mean, they could do it all. And I, I wasn't the big athlete. I played a little bit of softball because it was more of mine and my dad's thing. My dad Mm -hmm. played and, you know, but it was, I never really had my thing. And when I got out to Riata and I just vaulted on that horse, it was, it was just like, yep, this is it. This is, it was just a gratifying moment of doing something that is actually pretty hard for most people to do. And, and I just, I just felt at home. Like I felt like that's a, yeah, that's exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. So I know you spent quite quite a large part of your life doing the trick writing thing. When does the transition for you take place from 
just trying to gain an education and maybe feel out this trick writing thing to, you know what, I'm going to make a run at this and now become a professional? I think the setup uh, for me, it, it was more the setup of Riata Ranch. So at Riata, I started at 12 and there's this whole youth program. And that's kind of why girls go is because it becomes a very fulfilling thing to do. And it's it becomes less about the trick writing and more about what you're learning there. And then in, in what the way, trick, if we can kind of develop that a little bit. Yeah. So the basis of Riata Ranch is leadership, mentorship using horses. So when you come out on a sat, I'll just, for example, when I'm 12 years old going out to Riata on a Saturday morning, we have Saturday classes and you have a team and you're assigned a stall and you have a person with a rake, one with a scoop, one that has a, a heavy rake and our, each stall has to be the manure has to be picked out of it. You have to level the sand in the stall. And then we have a specific raking pattern that you have to do when you're finished. Mm -hmm. And every stall has to be that way. And then you work as a team to load the manure down this lane. And you have a team loading manure. And as the manure carts going down the lane, then you have a team of girls raking behind it. So the whole lane is just perfectly pristine when you're done. And so you learn how to little things like that, like how to just take pride in it. Yeah, it's just a stall barn or it's just a lane, but man, the look of it when it's all raked up and clean and perfect, you start to learn to just take pride in those small things. And then, you know, you usually when you're a kid, you start out as a scoop and then you move up to a rake and then you move up to the next level and then you're mentoring young girls. So you go through this process of growing up and you're getting all these tools that are actually going to benefit you as an adult. And that's kind of why girls stay at Riata. And if you meet, it doesn't matter what generation of a Riata Ranch cowboy girl you are, we all had the same experience because we all learned that same foundation. And then on top of it, the trick riding and the performing is like, that's almost like your reward. Like you yeah, get to just yeah. go have fun. And for me... I didn't really intend to stay as long as I did, but it just became my life. And and then just certain circumstances at home, I just really didn't want to be anywhere else. Like Riata became my happy place. It became my safe place. And it was my outlet to, you know, relieve all that stress that I was dealing with at home. Whereas when I hit the arena dirt, all that flew away and I was just doing what I loved. And so, and then on top of that, as I transition, as I got older, then I'm teaching and I'm helping run the program and I'm helping train horses. So then I took on a larger leadership role. So I just kind of progressed through it. And I was, you know, one of two of us that I started with that actually stayed with it as long as we did. It's incredible to hear how the program is so encompassing and it's almost cyclic, right? It comes full circle, whereas yes. th there's... You have your first day at the ranch, but then you will get to the point where you become the almost the mentor, right? And now you're teaching the next coming generation. And, you know, you talk about instilling a lot of those those early characteristics or life skills that now you use as an adult as, as far as responsibility and confidence and ownership. It's it's pretty cool. It, so, it sounds like it's a pretty unique experience, you know, and, and a ranch that, that makes a lasting impression on a lot of people's lives. Oh, absolutely. Riata is just, it's been going for 60 years. It was originally started by Tommy Meyer and he just was a visionary of his time. Like he could just, he could just come up with things to teach girls. I mean, they were handy back in the day and in the earlier generations. I mean, these women, they looked beautiful. They had style. Like he made it very important that they still are women and they have to have class and that, but yet they could go out and do hard work and you had to look good doing it. And then not only at the ranch and going through all this, but performing, you're representing a brand and it was, it was pretty unique. That's a, that's a part where I fall apart, right? I, I'm not afraid of any hard work, but looking good doing it, eh, not really my thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, I get, actually I trick rode at a rodeo not too long ago and, or at a demonstration and I had my cowboy hat on and I could. I, there was a drill team waiting to come in after me and they all were like, how did you keep your hat on? And, you know, I don't question those things that Riata Ranch, if you couldn't do things with your hat on, I mean, yeah. you, your, if your hat came off, you had to do 10 push-ups. 
<laughs> I'll say you get sick of doing push-ups, so, right? Yeah. So you make sure your hat was pinned on tight. It doesn't matter what you do. Like your hat better stay on and it better stay nice. <laughs> so it's, it's now becoming more evident, right? How the transition probably from amateur to professional was a lot easier for you because of those skills being instilled in oh. you. And, and I think so much of being a professional is that, right? Is it when you're in the arena, you don't know who's watching you, right? And you don't know when they're watching you. And you could be the only impression that has lasted or left on whoever that patron, right, or that that guest is of a rodeo or a show or demonstration. So those things do matter, right? The image that you present, how well you take care of not only you, but your animal, right? The way you conduct yourself, the way you treat people, it's a big deal. Yes. Jennifer, a uh, good saying that she likes to say, she says, you earn your reputation in the arena, but you earn your respect in the barn. And that's, that's great. She had that put on the girl. I think the girls now had that put on a plaque. It's in the house. And, and it's true. She's like, yeah, we have to be good in the arena. I mean, she expects that that's not even a question. I mean, she pushes us. We have to come out with a certain level, not only of trick riding, but performance and horsemanship, but you know, she expects that. And then she says outside of the arena, that's, that's 80% of it. Only 20% inside and 80% is what's the most important at the end of the day. That's absolutely and, incredible. I mean, and that applies, that just applies to anything. So, you know, you just have that, there's just skills that I've learned now that I have that just most people don't think about these days that, you know, our friends that are trying to find, you know, just help to ride their horses. And they say, you can't find good help these days. You know, they don't know how to travel down the road, but I was taught these things before I could even drive a car. So, and they're just things now that I'm an adult, I appreciate those things. Cause I, I'm like, man, that's never even crossed my mind just because it was put in my head so early on. And that was because of Riata. What's so important as you're describing these circumstances, right? And we talk a lot on this show about legacy, you know, yeah. we can buy all the pretty cool, nice things in the world, right? And yeah, we could pass them down to family members and think of that, things of that sort. But when you really get down to legacy, right? What, what are you going to leave this earth with? When your number's punched and it's your time to go, I think part of it is a part of legacy is is in our hands and we owe it to the coming generations, right? If you do have those experiences, such as traveling down the road or professionally performing, right, or or the business of horsemanship and how you conduct yourself in and out of the arena, we owe it to the next generation because if we don't make those efforts, right, all, where's all that skill set going to go? It's going to be diluted in the next generation and that's how stuff falls off. Absolutely. I 100% agree, especially in a day and age where a lot of kids, I mean, if you're not exposed to horses or animals, I mean, most kids are inside. They're on their phones, on the computer. They don't have anything to go do. And I just think of how lucky we are, especially in my life now. I mean, most of my friends, we saddle up, go roping together. I mean, you go and you you don't think about getting up and just cleaning stalls. Like, it's not a chore. It's just what you do. It's part of it. Whereas... And I just think about the difference between kids being raised amongst animals and the things they learn instead of being in front of a computer all the time. You know, it's funny. I think about this a lot, right? When when all you are is shoulder to shoulder with other horsemen, right? All these skill sets that you talk about are just, it's how life is conducted. Everybody does it. Everybody thinks the same, right? As far as getting up, getting the work done. uh, Typically, animals are fed before humans are fed right out the gate, right? Things have got to get done throughout the day. And but once you start to rub elbows with people outside of that world, you really start to learn that it's a unique skill set. It's a unique mentality that the that the horsemanship world, the Western world carries as far as hard work and dedication and, and legacy and things of that sort. There's there's no question. It's 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 sad that more people don't have access to do things like that. And just more and more, you just are so grateful we get to live in a life that yeah, absolutely. those things, are, they're just there and you get, and you get to share it with other people and you get to go do things and see the country. And I mean, it's nothing for us to go to another state and do something. Mm-hmm. And most people don't get out of their counties or, you know, out of their own state and don't realize there's other things to do out there. Yeah. And, and that's all because of those the foundation, horse. foundational qualities of horse people. Yeah. It's impressive. You know, it's, it's impressive. It's important. <laughs> so let's talk about a lot of times 
we try to make the relationship or try to develop the relationship between the skill set you learned at the barn and how it's carried you through life. So for you exactly, what are some circumstances in life that, that those lessons learned, maybe at Rada Ranch, that, that have carried you through some of those struggles personally? When I, when I was younger, so the time I started Riata, life was pretty good. When I was a kid, I went through a lot with my parents. Um, they abused a lot of drugs and they weren't bad people. They're just struggling with their own, their own set of circumstances they've dealt with. Mm-hmm. And fortunately for me, when I was younger, I was at grandma's house if, if mom and dad were, not able, felt like they couldn't take care of me, which I was with my dad more. And, but up until then, around when I started Riata, life was pretty good. Family, mom and dad had settled down a bit. They were, they had been divorced since I was about five, but they had been settled down, remarried. And, and so my time at Riata was super fantastic when I first started. And then things started to unravel again at home and kind of, they kind of both went through the same, started going through the same things again to where the horses then became, let me just say that the horses have never failed me. Their horses became the one thing that I could count on. The one being that just never, I mean, I could never think of a time that a horse failed me. So naturally that's where I wanted to be. And it didn't matter if I was struggling at home or if I was just done with mom and dad. Luckily, Jennifer and her husband, Chad, would come pick me up if, for practice. And sometimes I would have five bags packed and Jen would laugh, you stay in a few days. And I was like, yep, <laughs> yep. I'm not going back for a while. It's a three day uh, weekend. We laugh I now, think but I can, yeah. impressive. <laughs> I think I can stay till Monday. <laughs> That's so cool. So it just became, and I, and I was sadly, I was kind of used to the dysfunction. Um, so I didn't really know any different. And just as long as I had Riata, as long as I could go be with the horses, as long as I could go perform, I was happy. I was a happy kid. And even through high school, struggled really through high schools because life at home was still not very fun. And, I laugh because I didn't get invited to any school dances or or formals. I never went to prom. And a lot of that was because usually I was at a rodeo or going to perform somewhere. So nobody ever I'll really wanted to ask me anyway. Greater business being done, right? <laughs> yeah. So I... And I remember trick roping at my high school, one of my high school pep rallies and laughed because the one day it was like country dress up day for homecoming week. I came to school with like skater shoes and everyone laughed at me. It was like, it's your one day to dress like a cowboy. (laughs) And I was like, nope, I'm going to make it opposite day. (laughs) So in a way, I mean, as long as I had Riata, as long as I had access to the horses, I I was okay. They became my, just my rock. And of course, Jennifer and Chad were a huge part of that. And then in high school, I really had a hard time getting to school. Luckily, my best friend in high school, her mom used to always come pick me up to take me to school. But there were some mornings where she couldn't. And so I decided to go on homeschooling the middle of my junior year. And this was, I was probably almost 17, just got my driver's license. And, um, I pretty much decided I was leaving my parents and I kind of bounced around for a while, just lived at my friend's houses, had everything of my, I ever owned in my car, which wasn't much at 17, but it was mine and lived with my friends for a year. And then when I was about, I went through this till about, I think 19, And that's when Jennifer and Chad finally were like, what are you doing? Who are you staying with? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm just kind of figuring it out still. And they finally were just like, just pack your stuff and come home. Like, this is your home. And pretty much from 19 till I was 26, I lived with Jennifer and Chad. They They became my other parents. And then I was just pretty much fully immersed in Riata, which... I was completely happy with, <laughs> and I'd finished my high school on uh, on homeschooling and graduated, and then I didn't look back. I just was done with the stress, and I think most of 
I really kind of wished I would have been maybe a little smarter and got an education. But at the time in my life, it just it just wasn't a source for me. And it was, it was almost like, I just want to get away. I got through it and I just want to go do what I love to do. And that's what I chose to do. And that, and I, st- I lived, breathed and ate Riata from 19 till I was 26. <laughs> it's incredible to hear. I have it here in my notes, how strong, right? You were faced with all this instability. <laughs> high school is difficult for anybody. Yeah. Right. And then for you to have the instability of a high school, then the instability of your home life, and then in some of your more formidable years, you talk about the times of 17, you know, 17 to 19, kind of just bouncing around and, and living out of the car type of thing. For you to be faced with all those instabilities and to still stay on track and still stay focused and, and the horse is kind of being that catalyst. I mean, it's, it's impressive. It's very, very <laughs> respectful. It's very commendable. Um, I Thank tip my you. hat for, for Riata to take you in, right, and kind of give you that final push in the right direction. It's, it's very impressive. Very impressive. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was, um, you know, I definitely, I, another thing I struggled with really too was I definitely tried to go off the, off the path quite a few times and, and didn't do things the right way and got into things I shouldn't have. But I think because of that influence and because I had Riata to always go to just keep me on the wayward scale, um, it just, I, I just don't know where I would be without it because I mean, I dang sure was the kid that, you know, my parents didn't really parent me. So then I got to an age where I just didn't want to be parented. And then I'm here trying to figure things out on my own and, and, and struggling as a young person. And, and Riata is a big responsibility. And like you said, there's a lot of people set you have to set an example for. And there was times I feel I felt the pressure of having to be perfect because I was doing this thing. But here I was carrying this weight of this, all this stuff I'd been through. And it was it was been a long time before I really had become at peace with that growth and that time period of just finding my way um, but if I really didn't have the outlet of Riata and the influence and of my grandma and of the horses, I just, I don't think I would be down the road I am now. Absolutely. So I think of uh, a previous conversation I had a couple weeks back with a guest and we talked about the idea of mentoring, right? And giving back and how you, you kind of owe your experiences to the next generation. And how often have you seen, right, where people will claim to be experts or they will claim to know something and not necessarily have the life, the real world life experience, right, to give back and, and to provide value in what they're sharing? You talk about everything that you've been challenged with, right, growing up at this phase of your life that we're talking about, right, the high school years and kind of early 20s, mid 20s. I mean, all that experience that you gain and how much more valuable is your mentorship now? Because when you talk to a a young girl, let's say about going off the deep end or making bad choices, you've lived some of those bad choices, right? And you've lived the success of coming off of those bad choices. And I think that's where, that's where your legacy is going to push ahead, right? And that's where your mentorship is going to push beyond most people's because you've lived it and you've seen the success yourself. Yeah, I I sure hope so. <laughs> I I really There's no learned way that. It can't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I I really see that in this world today too, especially with social media and how we we I don't know why we expect people to be so perfect yeah. and and I've finally learned to not be ashamed of those of those time periods where I was making bad choices and and you can't be ashamed of those things. So at the end of the day, everybody's different. Everybody has their own path. And as long, I really feel like as long as you're a good person and you try to treat people with kindness and respect, um, it's okay. It's okay to fall off the wayward path. And we can't just expect people all the time to live these perfect lives and not and not fall off the wagon every once in a while. Some are just worse than others. And I've finally learned to not be ashamed of that because like you said, hopefully it will just help somebody and I can be somewhere where I'm like, nope, it's fine. Just as long as you're, you get back to square one, you haven't failed. <laughs> and I think about my experiences, right? And, and you talk about somewhat of the shame, right? And the embarrassment of some of the experiences. And 
and looking back at first, I was the same, same way you were with it, right? Like, oh, that, that was shameful, or I shouldn't have done that, or how did I not know I was foolish, or sometimes I'm just an idiot, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but how much stronger is the version of you because of that? Right? Oh, so, what, so what would much. You be, and, and we'll never know, right? But what would you be if everything was just rainbows and unicorns throughout your life? And now you're 25, 26, 27, whatever, and you have to make this marginal decision in your life, and you have no success in adversity prior to that. Yeah, I just don't. Yeah. That makes tough people, yeah. I think, absolutely. Yeah. It makes you tough. It makes you more compassionate, more have more empathy. It's. Uh, I think adversity is really good for people. Yeah. It is. And, and so much of it is perspective, right? We can drown it in, in, and be miserable in it, or we can fight through it and find a way to be strong. And there is an answer, right? We just got to find yes. it. You got to have the yes. strength to find it. Yes. And you have to want to find it. Yeah. I've really found that, especially in the last few years, what I've gone through, I've really found that you have to want to find those things and you have to want to be aware of your own behavior. And that's, and that's what I really had to come to terms with too eventually is one I had a lot of learned behavior and finding out just really where it all came from and that's when I truly started to understand how powerful our emotions are and how powerful our minds are and how we really have to be self-aware to overcome those things but we have to want to overcome those things and that requires holding a mirror up to your face and really going you're your own problem and you're your only solution. And it's hard for people to do that. But man, if you can do that, it's it's more rewarding than anything you can ever go through. <laughs> so for you, I can tell you this. When when I was faced with my challenges, I was definitely the they have to look in the mirror version of that story, right? But for yeah. you, were you do you think you were hardwired to want to find those resolutions, or did you have kind of a pivotal moment that that forced you to have to turn the tide? I think I think I always had the want to, like I always had the want to be on a good path and I really wanted to be a good person. I've always wanted to be the happy. I like being around people. I love going out and experiencing things with my friends and I love having fun. So I've always had that desire to want to be a good person and do good things, but it really wasn't until my dad passed away that that really opened a can of worms for me. And it took in the last five years, I, I had to do a lot of reestablishing what I, what kind of person I want to be and establishing the, all the things I'd went through in my entire life. It feels like it all came spewing out. And I really finally had to get a mirror and really figure out what was wrong with me what was happening, like what behaviors are triggering this and and then just one by one and surrounding myself with good friends that could help me. I mean, it was it was a really hard transition figuring that out, but it it did take a really extreme trauma to get to break that open. Mhm. Mhm. And do you think with your dad's passing was that do you think that was rock bottom for you in your experience? Like, were you steadily declining or was that kind of the catalyst that pushed you off the edge? Like you were doing okay. And then all of a sudden dad's passing caused this, this can of worms to open. A little of both. Um, it became a slow decline and then it was kind of a can of worms. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was trying to balance going through this grief process and then being present at Riata and my responsibilities. And I just gradually noticed I was having trouble doing both. Mm -hmm. And whether I even realized if I was grieving or not, which I've never dealt with grief. And if you've dealt with grief, you know that it's not pretty. Um, and it just became a slow decline. And I noticed my mental capacity for stress and what I could do and then be responsible and, do my job and perform, I just, uh, it was just a slow, slowly crashing plane. <laughs> so it's and incredible, so it just... like, in all that you, in all that we've talked about, right, you have so much going on at that point in your life with all that you're doing with Riata, right, you finding yourself, then this devastating news of the passing of your father. And in the show previously, we talk kind of about 
how human beings handle stress, how human human beings handle grieving, right? And there's there's a natural progress that has to take place. And if there's interruptions in that process, it can it can lead to, you know, many years of hurdles. So for you, do you think your grieving process was intact, start to bottom or start to finish, or or were you not able to focus on it at first with all that you had going? No, I I absolutely did not. I think I I think due to the struggles I had dealt with previously in life, it was kind of oh, another hurdle, just get mm-hmm. through it, move mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. I feel like I tried to kind of do that. It was like I because it was in a few weeks, the passing of my dad, going through his house, going to get in the funeral together, and then I had a rodeo. So it was like, okay, this is the time frame I have to do this, and then I got to go. Yeah. I have stuff to do. Like yeah. I've got – I just – I didn't think twice about it, and boy – did I find out that it it just that does it not doesn't work. work like that? <laughs> it does not work at all. <laughs> yeah. So what for you was the the moment that tipped the scale, or in a regard that you know I got to take a step back, I got to finish the grieving process, I got to deal with this one piece at a time versus just keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. I honestly at first didn't even realize that it what was happening. Like I just knew that I wasn't okay. And I knew that I was really drawn back. And I think I knew something was wrong when I realized I didn't want to trick ride anymore. I dreaded loading up in that trailer and going down the road. I did not want to do it anymore. I, and it became a slow process of that. And it became a slow buildup of I'm tired of this. I don't want to be here. I, and I noticed my relationships with people around me were having trouble. And I, I took a step back in the winter to go work in Arizona. And I really, cause through the end of 2014 was a bit of a fog and 2015, I was kind of okay, but I could still find that I just was not I really just wasn't wanting to travel and, but I did anyway, I went through that year and, and performed and, but I just, I just felt this, I just wasn't myself. And when I was home at the ranch, I didn't want to be around anybody. I didn't want to be teaching classes. Like I just really wanted to hole up in my room and see nobody. And so it was this slow process over this year and a half of me just slowly declining that way of me not wanting to go out and see people and mm-hmm. me not wanting to be mm-hmm. present and me not wanting to trick ride. And when I came back to Riata in 2016, I really came back from Arizona all winter and was like, you know, I just have a bad attitude. Like, what is my problem? Like, I'm the problem. And, but I didn't realize why I was a problem. Yeah. I, th- I really just thought it was like, you're just thinking terrible. Like, you were. You know, and I'm like sitting here trying to read self-help books and positive thinking. And I'm like, why am, Why can't I get this right? So when I came back in 2016, I was like, okay, I'm going to have a whole new mindset. I just need to be a better teacher. I just, need to, I just need to find a way. Why am I not communicating well? Or why am I not getting along? And then I came home and my horse was lame and my favorite horse in the entire world like this horse has carried me through this devastating time and the one thing that makes me happy the one thing that's never failed me and I'm sitting here looking at him and he cannot go anywhere and that for me was like the straw that I knew I just needed to go because I was mad I was (laughs) mad at life like I just was mad at everybody I didn't want to I didn't want to trick ride. And I remember we were going to go on a trip to Oregon and I just did not want to go. I just, every fiber in my body, I just did not want to trick ride. And I knew something was wrong because I've never not wanted to trick ride. I've never not wanted to load up and go. And I remember going to Jennifer and crying and just being like, I don't want to go. I can't. I just, I don't want to be here. And she, she kind of, she knew she knew something was wrong and she knew she just didn't, they didn't know how to help me. And that's the hard part, I think. And that's why I think we have to find forgiveness and compassion too, because if 
if you've never had a friend go through a struggle like this, how do you know how to help them? And so in a way I chose to leave because I knew that was going to be what's best for me and what's best for everybody. And Riata needed to move on and keep going. Whereas I was in the space where I was living in this trauma every day. It's almost like time stopped for me, but it didn't stop for everybody else. And I was mad that they, that time didn't stop for them, but it was, I was stuck in 2014 at the end of May. And that's, that's really when I started to make the transition. And then being in Arizona has just been an absolute blessing for me because if I hadn't moved here, I wouldn't have realized that I was still grieving and I wouldn't have realized that I was starting, that I had actually been battling with a mental illness and just white knuckling it. And when I was waking up here with no stress, with a job I could do every day that wasn't as stressful as, say, the responsibilities of Riata, and I was still waking up not happy and not wanting to be here, that's when I finally realized that I needed to find help. It's incredible, I think. So you brought up a great point of forgiveness, right? Right. And way back in the beginning of the episode, uh, you first talked about, man, I wish I would have got an education but how how are you necessarily supposed to know that, right? And let's I just want to develop forgiveness for a little bit, yeah. right? Like we can always look in hindsight and say, I wish I would have done A, B, C, or D, right? But if education had never been a focus of yours in your life or it had never been instilled in you by parents or a mentor, right? How are you supposed to know the value in education? Oh, yeah. Right? None whatsoever. Yeah, none. <laughs> and then now we talk about the, the act of forgiveness in grieving, right? And you talk about the incredible loss of your father and how it affected you. If you've never gone through grieving to this magnitude, right? You've never faced a challenge to this magnitude. How, how are you supposed to know the right way to go about it, right? You're, you're yeah. probably not. You don't have the skill set, right? So you have to forgive yourself for all those heartaches, all the blame that you place on yourself, all the guilt that you feel, right? And this is where we talk about, you want to talk about life and growth and development, this is it, right? And in all of life's stressors, and we'll use your your story, for example, it had taken years for you to get to the point where you were, as far as being battered and broken. For you to think that it's just going to happen in a month or two, that we're just going to be better, yeah. Right? It's just unrealistic. And and I've done it to myself, right? Thinking, same thing. You have a piss poor attitude. You, you're so blessed in so many ways and you can't see it and you're ungrateful, whatever, right? But for me, it was, it was the light bulb. The light bulb moment was just that, is it realizing it had taken years for me to get to this place. It could take me years to get out of it. Yes. Right. Yes. And that's, and I was realizing like, wow, I'm, this has just been building up and this is going to take a a while to get through. And, and, and two, and then, you know, and for a while too, I wanted to blame other people for not seeing that I needed help or not, or, or seeing that I was struggling, but not helping me. And then it wasn't until I started to really heal and really see these things. Then I started to feel that forgiveness for others too because yeah. then I go man how how hard it was it for them knowing me my whole life and not and not knowing what to do or not and it took me leaving to figure it out and I really had to do a lot of it on my own where I should have probably seeked maybe some <laughs> professional <laughs> help but luckily I was surrounded by people who are who may not have understood what I was happening to me but I was at least reaching out and talking about it and going something is wrong I need to figure it out I I there's no reason I shouldn't be waking up happy or there's no reason why like I should be struggling this bad or I'm a tough person, but why is everything making me yeah. cry? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I don't cry this much. Yeah. <laughs> and that gospel. was frustrating too, facing that. I It made me feel like this broken, sad person or I'm like, man, this is, I've gone through st- hard stuff. Like why, why can I handle this? Like there's no reason 
I shouldn't be. And, and wow, that's when I started to realize like, man, mental health is real. Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> it is real. The way I kind of assimilate to that experience, right? Is it just that uncontrollable crying or, or just inappropriate crying, right? You'll just be sitting down watching a TV commercial and some song will come on and just set you off, you know? That's, oh, yeah. It's emotion that just was never dealt with. And your body needs to process it. It needs to get rid of it. It needs to be digested. And you're just flooded with it. So it's just going to go somewhere, right? Yeah. Whether and it's it appropriate like or not, layer, it just has to come out. <laughs> yeah. And it was like layer by layer. It was just coming, just spewing off of me. And luckily, this is, this is where then Arizona and team roping became instrumental because here then I move I'm away from my family which I've never lived away from my family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm used to being away from them but living away from my family and close friends and being here and luckily Judy and Ozzy have just been if I if I was having a day where I woke up and just couldn't get off the couch or I could I just physically was sick and sad and I could go up there and say I don't know I'm having a day I, I need to, and it was like, okay, do what you need to do, but you know, if we can help you, we will like, they've just been absolutely. And it finally came to a point where I was like, okay, I don't want to live like this. Yeah, I want to find control. And I, I went to Judy and I said, what can I do? I know, I don't know what's happening, but I know something's happening. And she goes, well, I don't know anything about depression or anything, but I know someone who went to this naturopath and started with her health. And she said that really started helping her. So that's what I did. I went to a doctor and I told her, this is what's happening. This is what I've gone through. And she's like, oh yeah. And so we started with my nutrition and she's like, you know, it might not help. You're not going to just wake up and be happy. But she said, I feel like if we get your, your body functioning and your health, she's like, you're going to find that you're going to feel like you can get through these days a little better. And you've got to just find a plan and find your triggers. And here she's throwing out all these words, triggers, PTSD. <laughs> and I'm like, what? No, can you write I'm just, that down, please? I'm like, no, I'm just sad. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, yeah. nope. And she's explaining all these things. And I finally hear it was this person that's going, no, you're not crazy. No, you're not a bad person. No, it's okay that it's in you... fact normal. Yeah. She's like, no, it's okay. Like you, yeah, you were probably mean to people around you, but there's a reason. (laughs) There's a reason you don't feel in control. And so finally I just started to find, find this process of, okay, this is why I'm sad. This is what I'm feeling. I, instead of going down the dark rabbit hole, I could talk myself through these days or I could start going, you know what? I haven't been eating very good. So this is probably a trigger or this has been stressing me out. So this it creates a domino effect. And then I finally start realizing that's when I start finding the forgiveness for myself, forgiveness for my you know family and friends, forgiveness for my dad. And that's when it started to finally find the peace. And I'm starting to, and I have routine here in Arizona. And so it just finally became this whole circle of riding. I just call it riding the wave. Just, just going with the flow, and and then that's when finally it just was step by step. Then my behavior, I'm starting to understand my behaviors of early in my 20s compared to now, and realizing like, man, this has been going on for years. It's crazy, isn't <laughs> like, it? Like it's stuff that oh. I've never paid attention to, right? When when going through my experiences and growing and developing, I never necessarily paid attention to diet or rest, or sleep, or thought process, anything, right? I just did like you talked about. It's white knuckle. I'm just going to push as hard as I can today, and if tomorrow's tougher, I'm going to push harder than that. Oh, yeah. And the you know, and it was always funny. The girls at Riata used to laugh at me because a lot of the girls are real serious about working out. And, you know, and I'm not a terrible eater, and and not to toot my own horn, but I'm my DNA, I'm just a naturally thin person. So <laughs> my friends make fun of me because they'll all be working hard and I'll be sitting there eating, eating a pizza. Dogs and- <laughs> yeah. And just like and it's something I've learned to care more about. Like yeah. you you learn what your body can take and what it can't take. And I'm learning that I've learned to treat it a little better. And I I didn't realize that just strong connection between your health and mm-hmm. and your mind. Mm-hmm. And so it's become a tool and I just was like, wow, man, I was just really treating myself like crap, honestly. <laughs> it's pretty It's pretty inspiring to hear, hear all the progression that's taken place, right? Because I've gone through similar chapters in my life where yeah. you just start to become, 
I think you just become more aware, right? As you become yeah. more mature, you you right. understand yourself better. You understand your body a little bit better. You understand all your reactions a little bit better. And in that maturity just comes a little bit more clarity, right? You just totally. don't get so overwhelmed. Totally. And in that process, an important thing that became is my circle of friends changed. Mm-hmm. And my close friends now, which Paige is one of them, and my friend Spencer and Katie, and they... They're friends that I can call when I'm having a bad day and they know what I'm, they, they know what's wrong. Like when I can yeah, just, you yeah. know what, I'm having a day and they're friends that don't try to just go, Oh, it's fine. Like you have all the, it's like, okay, why do you, Paige will sit, sit there and grill me and go, okay, so what triggered you? Yeah. Why do you feel yeah. this way? Hold like, you accountable. Yeah. We've, and she can literally hold like, why is your behavior? Like, what are you like? She can hold the mirror up to me and yet also be like, you know what? You've got to remember what you went through. Like you have to remember why this happens or, and so it becomes this really healthy circle of French friends that have really, I can call and they can call me and we know how to communicate with each other or, and now it's just, now you have these valuable friendships and that aren't just, Hey, let's go have a good time after the rodeo friends. Like it's meaningful relationships that really, truly support you. And they've just made a huge difference in, in this kind of, you know, I don't feel like we're ever done healing, but I think through this trauma in my life, like in this end process where I am now, like that's just been so instrumental in being at peace and really getting over the hump. It's cool. I can definitely hear a change in your voice, right? The fire <laughs> when you talk about it, right? The passion's there. It's genuine. It's true. And it's, it is a huge blessing to have those true friends, right? There's plenty right. of people that would love to socialize with you. I'm sure, right? We've all have those quote unquote social circles. But for me personally, a social circle and friends are two completely different things. Completely different things, right? Oh, completely, completely different. It's, it's, and it's true. When you go through something, you really do find out who your friends are. Yeah. But I also do feel like you find out who your right friends are that you need. Not yeah. necessarily that the friends, there's some that just don't know how to help you. So you, you really tend to go away from them, but I learned that that's not a bad thing that just, you know, people, you go through transitions in your life. And if you believe in God, which I do, I just believe God's puts the right people where you're supposed to be. And I just believe that. I mean, I feel like my life is a testament to that because I've really always felt like I've just had to trust where I'm at and just be confident you know, I may not know, you know, I may be just here riding horses in Arizona and it might not be a corporate job with benefits, but man, in my healing process, has it been instrumental and I'm happy, like I'm happy to be here and I'm grateful for, I'm grateful to get up every day and go ride horses and have my dog and see the neighbors and go roping and, and sell horses that get good homes. Like that's, and now I get to trick ride for fun, which has been pretty full circle. I tried to get away from it and I just can't seem to. And can't now quite I'm shake riding. it. Yeah. And so now I'm trick riding again, but I'm finding now I'm reestablishing that love for trick riding because I it's what I love to do and ultimately it's what I feel I'm best at. So now I'm doing it on my own terms and it just seems like I'm like, okay, I'll do a couple things here and there and then next thing I know I've got more and then I'm doing more and, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but I'm not leaving Arizona. <laughs> and then you're leaving Arizona. Yeah, and then I might go to <laughs> leave Arizona and I'm like, okay, well, it's never been my plan. I guess I'm just going to keep following it and trust my intuition. And you just got to heal yourself and trust you're on the right path. And ultimately, I just want to leave this earth knowing that hopefully I was a good person and people liked being around me. And I I would rather be known as a good person and a good hand than someone who was rich and wealthy and never experienced anything. <laughs> oh, you hit the nail on the head. You hit the nail on the head. I'll tell you, faith is such a such a big part of it, right? And for me, that's when the definition of value started to become a lot more clear. And, and you talked about many of the points that I've experienced, right? When I started to place more emphasis on my faith, and less emphasis on me personally, uh, all these doors start to open. And there is no earthly explanation as to why, right? Right. But God has put it in my path. I am now a steward of this opportunity. I better do right by it and work as hard as I can. And and for me, you talk about 
you know, putting the foot in front, putting one foot in front of the other, that that was it for me. Today, I'm going to do the best with whatever God gives me, and tomorrow we'll try to do the same. And once I changed that mentality from how do I fix myself to just work as hard as you can each day with God's opportunities, uh, things started to get rolling. And now it's transition. it's transitioned to a place where you have to be a steward of it, right? You have to give Absolutely. it back. And, and when I sit here and have these conversations, I, I, I definitely hope they don't come across as, well, I'm the know-it-all and I have all this experience. No, it's not. I don't know nothing. And I have a small window of experience, but what I have experienced, I owe to the people coming up behind me to, to help pave their trail just a little bit smoother than maybe the one that I traveled, you know? Absolutely. I feel, I feel the same way. And I've really tried to work on getting to a point where I can, I can share things I used to not want to share because I'm like, I don't want to be a victim. I don't want people to look at me as this poor girl who, because really a lot of people just know me as, you know, a lot of people see Brandy, that dark haired trick rider on the white horse. Like that's a lot of people know me as that, but a lot of people really don't know me at home or know what I went mm-hmm. through to be mm-hmm. doing what I'm doing. So a lot of things don't make sense to people when I, you know, a lot of my friends that I rodeoed with, you know, they see me team roping and like, I show up at a rodeo just to hang out. I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm yeah. like, uh, I can just come. I'm to just going to enjoy myself. <laughs> yeah. And so, and, and faith is even something I struggle to talk about because I don't feel like you get in a world where people persecute you if you don't believe in the same way or do things in the way they think you should do. Whereas, you know, every day I just try to go, I just try to look at what has always been given to me. And I just go, you know what? I know I don't read my Bible every day. I don't go to church every Sunday, but man, has he always guided me Yes. and, and being open. I think I've just always been open to listen. And I just hope that I keep just going down where I'm supposed to go because it seems like no matter, even when I tried to go off the wayward path, it just seems like God's just always been, nope, just, just come Come back over here. Try and this over just here keep. for a second. So in a way, sometimes trying to make a plan for my life, I've just, I've kind of given up on it because I'm like, man, my life has all, has just been so all over the place to get where I'm going, but I still seem to get good opportunities. So I must be doing something right. Yeah. So it's, I just try to be, I've learned to just try to be grateful and just know I do have a faith in something and it's worked and, and just going, you just got to move forward and have faith that you are moving forward in the right direction. And I do believe if you try to be a good person and do good things for people and share your story, then that's all you can do. And what's better than that? Well, you got one heck of a story and hopefully this episode (laughs) gives a little bit more context to folks as to who you Uh, are and what you're all about. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. It's definitely, it's definitely been a struggle, but I, you know, I don't think I would change it because I don't, I just really don't, I, it makes us who it we makes are. You. Yes. It, it makes me and, and maybe now being more open about it, maybe someone that went through the same thing or similar, like you can only hope it helps people and, yep. and that's the foundation you know? of this show. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so as we wrap every episode, yeah. I like to ask, I call it the legacy question, right? And the way I'm going to frame it is that if you were to share a life lesson, right, or anything that you've experienced in your life with somebody who might just be a couple miles down the trail behind you, what would you share with them? Well, it's a bit cliche, but I would say just follow your arrow. Yeah. You, I, I truly believe in that. And I truly, if you're just moving forward and you learn to live with gratitude and be open and if you help others, it's given back to you. So just keep moving forward. Don't give up. And if you need help, ask for it. There's no shame in asking for help and guidance. And But just make sure you're asking from the right people and, and surround <laughs> that is yourself. That a huge caveat. <laughs> yes, yes. You got to make sure you're surrounded by good people and people that are on your team. And sometimes you, you got to make sure you're on your own team. Yeah. Really, yeah. you have to, no, you you have to be. you have to be aware of yourself and then you're aware of others and that's how you help. That's how you help people, and that's how you get success, I believe. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, Brandy, I'll tell you what, you have one heck of a story. I sure appreciate you making time for us and and coming on the show and sharing it. And we look forward to all that you have going here in the future, especially with all your trick riding demos you got going on. Briefly, I want to touch on some of the demos you have coming up or maybe performances you have here in the near future. 
Yes, actually, in January um, here in Phoenix, I'll be part of a really, really awesome event called Art of the Cowgirl. And Art of the Cowgirl is a basically a celebration of women in the Western industry from all aspects and how women have impacted the equine industry. And I mean, from art to leather makers, uh, horse women, I mean, it is just an amazing event. And I get to go there and be a uh, clinician. And so I will be doing a demo where I get to show how cool trick riding is and how we start horses and kind of how I got where I'm going. And it's kind of a new way to see trick riding instead of me just, you know, blasting in Bombing the arena. The arena. <laughs> yeah, just going around the arena in a blink of an eye. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's been fun because I do love to talk about trick riding and I do love to talk about the impact it's had on my life. So I feel like it's a fun way to share it. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Brandy, again, we thank you for making yeah. time and we wish you the be best in all your future endeavors and we'll talk to you down the road. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Have a good one. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. Again, we thank you and we'll see you on the next one. Yeah.